Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It has been an exciting week here in Chicago, of course. A certain baseball team has won a certain event, and so uh, this town is certainly uh, all blue and red everywhere you look. So it's been an exciting week, um, but uh, certainly there are also a lot of anxious people, as I'm sure where there are where you live as we think about the election next Tuesday. And I think that's a, an appropriate way for us to enter into this particular podcast as we start a new sermon series. And I'll, start, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let me read from the scripture that I'm going to be focusing on today. This comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it's chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. While Jesus was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So I think I've mentioned before that we have a dog at our home, and she is uh, about three years old or so, and we've had her uh, for since she was eight months old. And she is, in all aspects, a really good dog. She does her little things here and there, but for the most part, she really is a good dog. She has picked up this interesting habit, though, and it all started last July 4th. We took her with us up to visit my wife's aunt and uncle. They have a lovely home on Lake Michigan. And whenever we go there, we often will go up there over the 4th of July and uh, we will go down on the beach and watch the fireworks, which are kind of off in a distance, but you can still see them, and it's really a beautiful way to see them. But uh, Anne's aunt and uncle also have neighbors who spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to buy fireworks. Fireworks are, are legal in Michigan, and they invest in these for their own show, which, to be honest, is pretty spectacular. But when they do, it is very loud. And this year, we took our dog with us for the first time, and the boom of the fireworks, I think, had a pretty big impact on our dog. Ever since that time, whenever there is a thunderstorm, our dog does some kind of strange things. She likes to go and hang out in a place that we imagine gives her some comfort, so she'll go underneath this counter in our downstairs bathroom so that she can feel a little sheltered or she'll go upstairs our son has bunk beds and so she likes to go and be in the bottom bunk to make her feel uh, closed in perhaps as safe in some way at night she sleeps in her little dog bed in uh, my wife and I's room and she 99% of the time stays in that dog bed all night but if there's a thunderstorm she will hop up at 2 a.m as if to say can I sleep with you guys And so I can imagine, we can guess why she's doing these things. That experience of the 4th of July has scared her and she needs to feel safe. She needs to feel secure. I'm playing dog psychiatrist here. I have no idea if that's true, but we are doing our best to guess as to why she does these things. So, of course, we 
try to imagine what is going through our dog's head when she hears thunder, when she hears these loud noises. What is she thinking? And how does that relate to these somewhat strange behaviors that she normally doesn't engage in? That's a pretty big question, not just for dogs, but for all of us. What are you thinking? It can be a relationship-changing question, actually, if you've ever dated someone and one of the others turns to you and says, what are you thinking about how we're doing? Or if you are daydreaming and says, what are you thinking just now? And you have to give some thought as to how you answer. The tone of that question can affect us. If you've ever had someone, if you've ever messed up, whether it's at work or in some other aspect of your life, and someone comes up to you and said, what are you thinking? And that tone of voice can also make us feel like our dog and we want to go somewhere and just cuddle up in a corner so that we feel safe. And when we think about that question and answering it and where it leads us, I think many of us would agree that what we are thinking can affect how we are physically feeling. Imagine when you've asked that question, what are you thinking? And then begin to imagine and remember what that does to your own sense of physical well-being. Well, we're starting this new sermon series called Healing to Wholeness, and we'll be particularly looking at healing and the emotional or psychological elements of pain and discomfort that we may feel and how it affects our faith. It's an important time to do this. November would always be an understandable time as we head into the holidays and we begin to think about how does our emotional state affects how we feel physically. But certainly with the election happening in just a few days, this is happening more and more. Here in Chicago, the cub buzz to make us forget the things that make us anxious will only last for so long, I hate to say. The election has not only affected our relationships with others, but the anxiety and stress I've heard and read and feel myself, the anxiety and stress affects us physically. We may not be sleeping well. Maybe we're not eating or maybe we're eating too much. Stress affects our blood pressure and our heart rates. When we ask ourselves, what am I thinking? We often go to places and to things that we're afraid of. We go to worst case scenarios, the fear of what might happen. And that's what I want to focus on in this sermon, this podcast, the fear that comes from those thoughts that float around in our minds and how those thoughts may or may not affect our actions and well-being and what we can do about the thoughts that unnecessarily take us to places that we don't have to go. And of course, how all of this affects our faith lives too. So, as you probably know, I've mentioned many times, I'm a big fan of podcasts and listen to several of them. One I don't listen to very often is one called Invisibilia, which takes a look at those things that we don't see in our world. And this was recommended to me by one of our staff members, one our Emily McGinley, our site pastor at our Hyde Park Woodlawn site, as it relates to our sermon and this topic today. This Invisibilia podcast, the very first one, it's a fairly new podcast, and the very first one is called The Secret History of Thoughts. And one of the first things that the folks did who made this podcast is they went out on the street and they asked people, what are you thinking right now? What are you thinking right now? And they wanted people to be honest as they could. And so there's a really wonderful litany of different things that people say in response to this question. One person said, a cheeseburger. I wanted a cheeseburger. So here are some other examples. Going out with my girlfriend. 
whether or not this is a nice building. I'm looking to buy a condo here. What it would be like if there was no stars, just the sun and no moon. How much I love this Blackberry I'm typing on. I'm not good enough. I was thinking about my sister. I was thinking about how I could help her. This very vivid image of me hitting him with a hammer on his head. I'll always be alone. No one will love me. So you can see in just a smattering of responses here, and I'm sure right now if I were to ask you, what are you thinking right now? Some of you may say, well, I'm thinking about what you were saying, but others, you may be wandering a bit, which is totally understandable. What are you thinking and where do your thoughts take you? Well, let's do a little exploration of the history of thought as explained by this podcast. So again, I'm getting this from Invisibilia. So if there are any therapists listening today who might take an issue with the way I'm describing things, take it up with Invisibilia. I'll put a link to my podcast or to the Podbean page. Um, but it talked about the secret or the history of thoughts and they described it, the history of thoughts really in kind of three very, this is a very general way of explanation, of course, but three general phases. The first phase is this, that thoughts have meaning, that every thought that you have is really a tip of an iceberg. And here we bring in Sigmund Freud believe that thoughts are very intimately related to who you are. This is a very traditional way of thinking about thoughts. So, for example, one psychiatrist came on and said that he had a patient who was overrun with violent thoughts, but they were all about water. And these thoughts would come out of the blue, things like waterboarding or suffocating in water. And so the psychiatrist worked with him about his thoughts to see where they were lead. And he started talking and it turns out that his sister had recently died tragically because she was walking across a frozen lake, fell in and got trapped and died. And he couldn't stop thinking about her last few minutes. And once they made this connection, his demeanor changed. So in this way, taking this way of looking at thoughts, his thoughts were directly connected to something else. Now there's another different way of thinking of thoughts. This is called cognitive behavioral therapy. It's fairly recent, happened in the last, as I understand it, 40 years or so. It was developed by a psychiatrist named Aaron Beck. He was in a session with a woman who was at a party, and she was overcome by thoughts. Things like, I'm, I'm such a social outcast. I can't relate to anybody here. No one will care for me. And it's all quite sad. And he decided to go in a different direction with her. And he said, he asked his patient, how do you know these thoughts are true? I mean, do they bear any relationship to reality? I mean, do you have friends? Do you make friends? And so he went down this path. And so he started doing this with other people as well. And so in other words, they would test these thoughts if they were true. If you had a certain thought and you would say, does this really happen in reality? And so, in a sense, you would sometimes contradict the thoughts, and then the patients would soon get better. So, in some ways, it was saying you shouldn't take our thoughts so seriously. Every thought doesn't necessarily have a secret meaning. You can kind of debate the thought. Does this thought that I have really have any basis for reality? That's cognitive behavioral therapy. And again, I realize for those of you who are experts in this field, it's very general ways of describing it. And uh, my apologies if I'm getting it at all wrong. And finally, the third phase, talking about the history of thoughts, is one that's happened in recent years called mindfulness therapy or third wave therapy. And in here, when we have certain thoughts, we are 
not testing them and not thinking that they have a deeper meaning, but they are saying that they may that we may be taking these thoughts too seriously, that dark thoughts that we have may have no meaning at all. So mindfulness therapy teaches people to kind of ignore them or at least to pay attention briefly and then let it go on. It learns helps us to learn to place our attention elsewhere. So we may teach ourselves if we have a bad thought to just kind of let it float by without engaging it at all. So meditation is one way to engage this. Now, I have had absolutely no expert opinion on which of these ways of thinking is the best. But what I think is important is that in all of these theories, in a sense, are proactive about the thoughts that we have. We notice them. We get curious about them. We don't let them just run wild. We don't let our thoughts control us. Here in Chicago, of course, there are many ways to get around the city. Certainly the trains and buses are away. If you have your own car, you can drive, you can walk. And certainly there are ways that we pay people to drive us to certain locations. So taxi drivers have been with us for decades. And lately, (coughs) many of you know of different ways, whether you take Uber or Lyft, or one that I've discovered lately here in Chicago called Via, which is great. So I've noticed, though, recently, whenever I use Lyft or Uber or Via, I've noticed, especially with Uber, that you get in the person's car, and if I'm on the north side of the city and you come south, now those of you who don't in Chicago, this may not make sense to you, but where we live, sometimes the driver will go south on Clark, and at one point they have to get off and turn left on Roosevelt. That's very close to where we live. Slightly tricky on how to do that. And as you go south on Clark, you can either go underneath a bridge, stay on Clark, or you go up this slight ramp. It takes you right by. There's a large target. And if you want to get off on Roosevelt, you have to go to the right up this slight little, it looks like a ramp. And if you use a GPS, it kind of tells you to just to veer right, take you up this little ramp so that you can turn left on Roosevelt. Because if you don't, you're just going down Clark and you're going to miss getting on Roosevelt. And sometimes when I've gotten an Uber early on, my experiences of getting on, uh, taking an Uber or even a taxi, I would be lost in my thoughts. I would just kind of let the driver do what the driver does, trust the driver implicitly. And they would always come to this particular part of the city and they would never, (coughs) they would never get off on the ramp on the right. And then that would cost me extra if I was in a taxi and I have to turn around. So now, of course, I know better. Not just on that, but in many ways that they may or may not be following the GPS. And so I have to pay particular attention to make sure that my driver doesn't take me somewhere that I don't want to go. I have to be attentive to where they are going. The same thing can happen with our own thoughts. If we don't pay attention to them, if we don't notice them, if we just kind of let our thoughts drive us without paying any attention to them at all, who knows where that may take us. It probably takes us to places that we don't want to go. It takes us to a place of extreme fear, extreme anxiety, which can affect us physically. The thing about these three theories of thought is that we are beginning to at least pay attention to our thoughts, and then there are different ways of focusing on them. But it doesn't, these theories don't talk at all about a spiritual place, and that's what I want to explore just a little bit. And I said this in a gathering with other church folks a couple months ago that curio- <coughs> excuse me, curiosity 
Curiosity is a spiritual gift that I don't think is utilized enough. To pay attention, to be curious about what we are thinking. Jesus was a very curious man. He used questions, sometimes for rhetorical reasons, but he also used them to get a greater depth in sensing what God was doing in that moment. Luke 8 is an example of this. This is not what we read today, and I'll get to that in a minute. But he engaged in Luke 8 when the disciples were feeling afraid, and Jesus asked them, where is your faith? A man who was, the text tells us, was (coughs) taken over by demons, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? He continued on and walked, and a woman who was hemorrhaging touched his cloak, and he asked the question, who touched me? He was curious. He didn't just act. He first took notice of what was around him. Today in the text, we see two different responses to what's going on, and we see two different ways of engaging what's happening here. So we see here, this is at the end of Jesus' life, and people have come to arrest him. 49 says this, When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike at the sword? So here were his group of followers, understandably very concerned about this, what's going to happen here with this man that they have given their life for, that they're following, and they're seeing him now being arrested. You can imagine all the different kinds of feelings that they're experiencing in that moment. And so with the thoughts that they have then, they can go in two different ways. They can either just act impulsively on those thoughts. This is what happens in verse 50. Verse 50 again is, Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Or they can do something else. With the thoughts that they're having, the confusion and the anxiety and the fear that they're all feeling, the first response was one where they brought this literally to Jesus. They asked Jesus, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Lord, what do we do here in this situation? We are not sure. Our thoughts are confused. We are feeling anxious and fearful, feeling a little violent. What do we do? So their reaction was first to not let their thoughts take him to violence, just act in in an impulsive way. That's what happens in verse 50. In verse 49, instead, they bring their thoughts, their questions, first to Jesus. And even in this very small way, I think this is a helpful way for us to think about where our thoughts go and where they take us. Certainly, regardless of if you want to go into therapy, which I would highly recommend, of course, I'm not saying that what I'm about to say replaces therapy at all. But the thing about therapy is it begins to pay attention to the things that you're thinking rather than letting these thoughts go unchecked and letting us just kind of go wherever The thoughts may lead us, like a wayward Uber driver. But instead, we are curious about our thoughts. And, this is an option I didn't mention until now, we take our thoughts to God in prayer. We take what we're feeling to Jesus, like the followers did. Now, I know a lot of people struggle with prayer. What do I do? How does it work? Is there a right way, a wrong way to do it? So when I say, take these thoughts to God, take these thoughts to Jesus, it's a lot easier said than done, particularly if you don't have a lot lot of experience with it. I've said many times to use your imagination, to pretend that this thought is a thing, and then bring it to Jesus 
and see what happens. How would Jesus respond to this thought? What would he say? How would he respond to you? Now, if that, using your imagination, doesn't seem to work for you, write a script. Write it out. Pretend you're writing a movie or a TV show or a play. What would you say? And so you write your name down, and then this is what my thought is. I don't know what to do with it. Regardless of how crazy, out there, violent, whatever that thought is, write it down. Say, Jesus, I'm thinking these things. And then put some words in Jesus' mouth. Stop and reflect. How do you think Jesus would respond? The Jesus that you know in the Gospels. The Jesus who, in this text, when somebody quickly chose violence, and Jesus instead said, put that down, and then healed the man who was struck. That Jesus. What would Jesus say? Or use dolls. And that may seem unbelievably silly to you, but what I'm saying is whatever it takes for you to take the thoughts to God, to Jesus, that's what you should do. And then trust that the Spirit is at work in that. And listen. And talk about it with somebody else. Well, I think Jesus is saying this, but I'm not so sure. Because I think often when we take these to Jesus, when we don't let our thoughts control us, when we reflect and search, then we can experience, I believe, some healing. And again, let me emphasize, this is not, I'm not saying this is a cure-all for depression that you might be feeling, anything else. There are professionals in the field who can help you with this, and I encourage you to go see one. But in times when I've experienced the thoughts that may take me to places, keep me up at night, make me fear for the future of our country, I take them to Jesus. And often it helps. I have a friend who I used to work with several years ago. I'll call him Mark. And I became really good friends with, with Mark, and we had a lot in common. We'd, uh, stay, I, when I left uh, the working world and went into, <laughs> I was going to say, when I left the working world and went into ministry, that's not what I meant. When I went, left the, uh, I guess, world of non-professional uh, ministry and went into professional ministry in the life of a student, um, we didn't stay in touch as much. But, um, of course, with social media, that's how you stay in touch. You never really um, stay out of touch with someone with the days of social media. And I've noticed, I don't remember this about him at the time, but I've noticed, of course, that we have different um, political opinions, different theological opinions. And at times he puts things up that just, I just about lose it because I can't believe that he is saying these things or putting these things up. And I'm sure he thinks the exact same thing about some of the things that I sometimes post on Facebook or Twitter or wherever. And there have been times I've noticed where it's just, it's hard for me. He will comment on things that seem really hurtful. And I'm not sure where he's coming from. And it it hurts because of the friendship that we had. And my gut reaction always is to just either go after him or just to avoid him altogether and unfriend him. But what helps immensely is for me to go to Jesus and to bring Mark with me and say, Lord, Mark is saying these things, and I'm not sure why it is. And what often questions is not Jesus giving me a quick answer, but instead it's asking more questions. I wonder how Mark is feeling these days. 
I wonder what uncertainties he has about his own life. What does he fear? What does he have? What might be he losing in his own life? And when I think through these things, it helps me be curious about my thoughts about Mark. <clears throat> and not that I excuse what I consider to be um, racial comments or racist comments. And it doesn't mean that I don't have conflict. It doesn't mean that I not believe the things that I believe. But at least it helps me begin to see him in a little bit different light. This week is going to be a huge week for our country. And there will be so many people who will automatically go with their thoughts and will publish violent racist things on social media and beyond and the gut reaction is to do what that man that follower of Jesus in verse 50 did and start wielding the sword all around now again I'm not saying that we don't have or we don't utilize our own emotions and that we just sit back and just let people do what they will but I am saying for us to slow down to pay attention to our own thoughts. Why does this make me so angry? And bring this to Jesus and say, Lord, this anger that I'm feeling, it makes me want to be violent even. What do I do with it? Sometimes we can use that energy in other ways to love, to work for justice, for whatever it is. And there's also, I think, a trust that we have to have in God that no matter what happens on Tuesday, to have a trust that God is still active in our world and to be attentive to that and to see how we can play a role in that. Rather than just letting our thoughts take us to places that will only bring us anxiety and stress and ill health. So pay attention to these thoughts. Notice them. Be curious about them. And then bring them to Jesus. And then see what happens from there. That's a great way to engage in prayer. Because often I think Jesus will take these thoughts and will transform them, perhaps in surprising ways, but transform them in healing, loving ways, healing for others, and certainly healing for you. That's my prayer for all of us. What are you thinking? I hope it, whatever it is, that you can bring it to Christ. Amen. Well, as with many of you, I will be praying a lot this week praying for people who vote, praying for those who have big decisions to make, praying for what will happen in the aftermath of the election. And I hope that whatever happens, that you will be propelled, inspired to be more engaged with wherever it is that you live, regardless of who wins, whether your candidate wins or not. Because that's the only way God can do anything in our world, friends. And so listen closely to how he is leading you, how Christ is leading you. So the podcast was a little bit longer this week. Uh, My apologies for that. Um, And my apologies for my voice, my throat. I kept getting things caught in it. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not getting emotional. Well, I am, but I'm not getting that emotional. Uh, So it's one of those things. So I apologize for the little coughs here and there. Uh, Friends, you will be in my prayers this week. And feel free, as always, to reach out to me if you have prayer requests or if you are just feeling so anxious and stressed and you don't know what to do with it. Always available to talk, to respond in uh, either email or Twitter, uh, chris at urbanvillechurch.org or Twitter at Christian Kuhn. 
happy to engage with you in that way or in other ways too so uh, until next week friends uh, may the peace of christ be yours